Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here and if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Won't you stand with us as we worship together? Come now, found of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of God's unchanging love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm good-looking crowd we got this morning in our second reopened service and we hope that we can continue to reopen and uh, continue to get back to a life of normal I know that uh, the last two three four days though it looks as though things are trying to spike again so we're watching the news very carefully and we're praying uh, that uh, things will settle back down and continue to go back down from, uh, from where they are. So I know you'll be praying for that. It is good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Glad to have everybody that's online worshiping with us this morning. Just a couple of announcements. Deacons, don't forget, next Sunday after the worship service, we're going to have our uh, regular monthly meeting, and uh, we'll get together and we'll talk about where we're at and what all we might need to be doing. But right now, we are looking at... Uh, reopening our small group, uh, Sunday schools, life group classes for those that want to. We're going to be scheduling uh, those throughout the week when you uh, feel like that those would be most appropriate for you. And we'll give you some big areas in the church to do that. So talk to your class, talk to your teachers, uh, see what the will of the, the, the classes are. I know some classes aren't quite ready to come back yet. It may not be for a while. We get that. And we're just kind of feeling our way around uh, through things uh, as we go through that. And don't forget, we are uh, taking up our offering a little bit different now. We're, uh, deacons are at the front. They've got plates, offering plates when you come in and when you go out. Also, there's the offering box that's on the table. But if you're giving online, uh, you're doing good. Don't worry about it. Just keep doing it there. You can, of course, send it in by mail, P.O. Box 241. Uh, you can mail it in. We'll get it uh, to uh, our offering counters. But anyway, that's a look at today and all the things that are going on.
Let's open up with a word of prayer and we'll continue our worship together. Our gracious Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the beautiful day that you've given us. Lord, that we can begin to try to uh, open back up in life and return to some sort of normal. Lord, we, we pray for those who are not able to be here today. We, we miss the fellowship uh, that we get to have with uh, all of our, our, our family of God. And, and Lord, we know that even though we're not uh, assembled as we would like to be uh, in that totality, that Lord, we are by way of the Spirit uh, connected to each other and connected to you. Lord, we pray for those that need to be uh, thought about and prayed for, those in our hearts and minds. We lift them up, uh, those that uh, have sickness and those who have lost loved ones. Lord, we continue to pray for your guidance as a church as we try to work through this difficult time, that we know that, God, you're doing something in our world that is far greater and uh, far mightier than what we can just see uh, on this temporary and kind of uh, uh, very uh, base layer of what's going on, Lord. So we look to you in faith and we recognize your sovereignty uh, in your mighty hand uh, that is at work. Lord, we pray for the offering that uh, comes through and through the week that's being given today, that it's used to your glory, to your honor, and to the kingdom work. Lord, bless our worship and just speak to us as we draw near to you, Jesus, in your most wonderful name. Amen. Won't you stand with me again? God said his son they called him Jesus he came to love you let forgive he and died to buy my pardon and empty grave is that 
we, we uh, just proclaim that yours is the victory. Regardless of what's going on in our world, how much chaos, how much wickedness, how much evil, uh, just how much hatred there is in our world. We know that in the end, as Christians, we will see you face to face. We know that we are on the winning side if we are your children. And we just thank you that one day we will be able to sing, worthy, you are worthy. King of kings and Lord of lords, you are worthy. We love you today. We ask it all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. Every nation and time 
Chris comes. Worthy, you are worthy. King of kings, Lord of lords, you are worthy. Worthy, you are worthy. King of kings, Lord of lords, I worship you. Amen. Amen. You take your Bible and open this morning to Isaiah 59. Our little guys, you can make your way to Children's Church. He is worthy, isn't he? Oh, what a Savior. What a God we have. I want to spend some time thinking with you this morning about our God and particularly what I want to call the strong hand of God. And I want to read from Isaiah 59, and I want to give you a little fair warning. Uh, this is not the easiest type of reading that you will come across in the Bible. What you're going to be hearing and what we're going to be reading together this morning is what is referred to as Hebrew poetry, all right? And uh, some of you might, well, think back about uh, your days in high school and you're reading Shakespeare. It's about, uh, about like that. You know, you read it and you go, okay. Sounds real good, but I have no clue what he's talking about. There's a lot of symbolism here. There's a lot of what they call bicola parallelism. Now, that, that, that's a big word for you. You go out today uh, and you tell folks, oh, yeah, the sermon was on bicola parallelism, and they'll be all excited, right? Well, simply that means that uh, there's a line that's given that's kind of a poetic line, and then there's another line right after that that's given by the writer that mirrors that line. It's saying the same thing that was just said before it. It's just saying it in a different way. But in this old book, this uh, word from the prophet, in this uh, old poetry that uh, we're going to look at this morning, I think there is a mighty message that God has for us today and particularly for our nation. Let's read verses 1 through 8. We won't read all of it. We'll kind of go through the whole chapter, but we won't probably read all of the chapter together. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, 
and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly, no one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas, they speak lies, they conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and they weave spider's webs. He who eats their eggs dies and from one that is crushed a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing, men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity and deeds of violence and are in their hand. Their feet run to evil and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Well, if you've ever wanted to travel into space, there's good news for you. Entrepreneur Sir Richard Branson thinks that uh, you're really going to be able to do that in the next couple of years. As a matter of fact, you can buy a ticket to travel into space. It'll only cost you $250,000, but you can go for about six minutes. That's really a, a bucket list sort of thing, isn't it? I mean, if you think about a bucket list and as it goes. But uh, he already has, believe it or not, several hundred paying customers who've made reservations and some pretty high-profile celebrities such as Justin Beaver, Ashton Kutcher, and Paris Hilton and others who want to be the passenger on the uh, Virgin Galactic spacecraft. Now, just imagine for a moment that you do have the ticket and you're on that spacecraft and you're going to rocket into space and what it's going to be like. The company's website actually tries to give us a vision of what that's going to be. It says it is a wave of unimaginable control and power. You're on there and the rocket accelerates out of the Earth's atmosphere at three times the speed of sound. And when the craft reaches its arc, the engines shut down. And those aboard are able to unbuckle, float around the cabin, free from gravity. They can gaze out the window at Earth without marked boundaries, ribboned as a fragile atmosphere. What you're looking at, the website says, is the source of everything that it means to be human and its home. You know, in some ways, the planet from space must be a relief. Think about it. For a brief time, you wouldn't encounter starvation, crime, or violence. You wouldn't feel the pain of those undergoing chemotherapy or fear like those who are cowering underneath the table because of the rocket shells that are screaming overhead. For a little while, all those things would be pushed into the far recesses of thought and feeling. For six minutes, you would live in bliss and hope. But then what? The spacecraft would return to Earth. 
and all those troubles would come flooding back once again. You know, the question I think that we want to know, is there real hope for our world? And a little bit like what is offered in that Virgin Galactic uh, spacecraft trip, when we get together on Sundays, we get to kind of escape the troubles of this world, pull away and get into the glory of God and and our hearts feel good. But what's going to happen when we leave here this morning? We're going to return right back to that old world that is cold and evil and violent and cruel. Our question, God, is there hope? Not hope just for eternity, not just hope in our salvation, but in today. Let's face it, most of our focus and our attention's on living today, isn't it? In our children and in our grandchildren, on what's happening in our world. Well, let me say to you this morning that I believe that there is hope. There is hope because we have a mighty God. And what Isaiah says in verse 1 is that our Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. In other words, he is saying that our God has a strong and mighty hand. But while I say that this morning, I want to say to you that America is a nation in crisis. And much of this message this morning, I'm going to tell you, is a dark and rather depressing message. But as we deal with these dark topics and these depressing things, I want to say that we ought to think like Dr. Rogers used to say, when things look dark, he'd say, oh yes, they're dark, they're gloriously dark. Well, that simply means that Jesus is soon to return. And the darker this world gets, the brighter it is to his coming. We know what the Bible says, that when he returns and in those days it will be dark days. It will be in evil times. And I think that just means we're closer to Jesus. But right now, the lights of decency and goodness and kindness, well, they're being blown out all through America. I think it's much like a day that the Bible speaks about in Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, 18. What I fear that verse says is what is true for America. And in that day, you will cry out, Samuel says, because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. It was a day in which Israel had found itself not having its prayers heard of God because of the hearts of the people. God had stopped hearing the prayers. Samuel was getting old. His sons were appointed to take his place. But unfortunately, his sons weren't really good sons. They Uh, weren't much better than Eli's sons that were mentioned earlier in Samuel. They were dishonest. They were greedy. They accepted bribes. They perverted justice. They just weren't good men. Basically, everything that you don't want in a judge. Well, the elders uh, of Israel uh, paid Samuel a visit. They said, you know, we're not happy with this system. We want something different. 
and uh, they confronted him about his sons, about their behavior, and, and, and they said in verse 5 of that chapter, we want a king. And they tell Samuel why they want a king, because we want to be like other nations. Now, there wasn't really anything wrong with them asking for a king, so to speak. God actually had told them earlier that he would give them a king. What was wrong was the reason that they wanted a king, and that was they wanted to be like other nations. They wanted to be like everybody else. All their friends had a king. Why couldn't they have a king? And you see, God had chosen Israel out of all the nations of this world to be his treasured possession, that he was to be a people of their name. God had said to the Israel in Leviticus, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. You know, see, God was to be their king, but they had pretty much rejected God and his leadership to live in their own desires. They had received a great privilege that no other nation had ever enjoyed or would ever enjoy to be the very own people of God. They were meant to be different, but they wanted to be like everybody else. I want to say to you this morning that I believe America has had a special hand of God upon it. The unique birth behind America is unique more than any other nation that has ever existed. The founding fathers who came to the shores of America came not seeking gold, but God. Why did the northern hemisphere develop different than the southern hemisphere in Americas? Because the difference by which men came to the shores. In South America, they came seeking gold. In North America, they came seeking God. And I believe because of that, God blessed America, our nation, this land of the free, home of the brave. I believe that God has a special purpose for us, a deeper reason for our being here, for our existence. I believe that America still is the best hope in our world so far as democracy goes. And where people truly get a say in their governance. We know freedom like nobody else knows in this world. And because of it, we have been richly blessed. We were able to sit here today without worry or concern. And worship God freely and openly. That's not the case in many countries in our world. But the message that I have for you today is this. Though we've been blessed, America is broken. She's in trouble. And I think the days are numbered for the home of the free and the land of the brave. The lights of hope are going out. And today may be like me, you've been praying for our nation and you, you, you say, well, God, you don't seem to be hearing our prayers because things aren't getting better. As a matter of fact, they seem to be getting worse. Chaos seems to be gaining ground in every city, in every state, and in every 
area of our land. You know, it used to be that only in certain areas you might would see some kind of far-fetched crazy things, but folks, that's not the case anymore. You pick up the newspaper and then, you know, it's the city next door. It's, it's our own uh, area that, that sees things and we go, where's this coming from? I, what's going on? What's happening in our world? Well, I believe the explanation as to why is because you and I, as citizens of this nation, we have iniquities in our land. And just as in Isaiah's day, in our day, folks are sinful from head to toe. You read through this, this chapter, you find out the hands, the fingers, the lips, the tongue, the feet. Everything that moved and had life and breath was what? Wicked. Now let me just go back to Isaiah 59 here. They're dealing with a great deal of injustice in the land. The rich, the powerful were exploiting the poor and the downcast and the hurting. Rulers were using their own authority to make themselves rich and more powerful. The people lifted up their hands to worship God, but found nothing but silence, even in their worship. Not just their prayers, but in their worship. Because their hands were stained with blood, they were guilty. And God would not hear. God would not answer their prayers because of their sins. He hid their face, his face from them. And so there's a, a significant conflict that's going on between truth and lies. You remember a few weeks ago we brought a message on, does truth matter? And the answer is yes. Does truth matter in our day? Yes. Did it matter in Isaiah's day? Yes. But what was happening in that day? Lies were running rampant. Falsehood was running rampant. What's happening in our day? Falsehood and lies are running rampant. Isaiah 59 compares the evil rulers to pregnant women who give birth to sin, to snakes hatching their eggs and spiders weaving their webs. And the question is asked there in verse 1, is there hope? And I want to say to you this morning, I believe there is. But before we can get to that hope, we must wade through the darkness. We must wade through the ugliness. I want you to see three things together. Number one, and this is the major portion of the sermon this morning, the barriers to real hope. Look at verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. Now let me give it to you in, well, the, the, uh, one of the commentaries I've got, it's the handbook of Isaiah. I like what he does. He goes in there and he writes it in, in words that we can understand. Here's what he says. He retranslates this for us. Indeed, you have stained yourself with the blood of others, and you have stained yourself with evil. You have spoken lies and told evil things to others. Now the Lord list three big sins here in this one verse. Now keep in mind, Isaiah is dealing with the law of God. We know what the law of God is. It's in the Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments. That's the law of God that God gave. God wrote them out on uh, tablets of stone and gave it to Moses and said, give this to the people. 
But now I want to remind you something before we move to this, that we take the laws of God, the Ten Commandments, and we also take what? The teachings of Jesus. You remember the, the teachings of Christ on the laws of God? Well, go to Matthew and read the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll tell you what Jesus did. Jesus took those, and what did he do? He upped the ante on them. He said, listen, you break the law not only if you do it, if you think about doing it. If, you're, if your mind is, is, is fixated upon it. You, you, you violate the law. The heart of the law. So he, he ups it. So I want you to know that as I give this to you today, that, that the ante has been upped. And dear friend, it's up not only in the Ten Commandments, it's up not only in what Jesus taught, but dear friend, you and I have the revelation of God's Word. In your hand, you've got a copy of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. Trust me, to, to whom much has been given, much is going to be expected. God expects more of the church today. God expects more of His people today than He did even in the day of Jesus when He was standing there teaching them and proclaiming the Sermon on the Mount. We have a deeper understanding. We have a deeper uh, knowledge of the fullness of God's want and will in our lives. And so there's three sins mentioned here. And as big as they were in Isaiah's day, they're greater in our day. He says we're guilty, number one, of bloody hands. He says that in verse 3 and in verse 7, he also says that uh, we are guilty of what? Innocent blood. I want to say to you today that people will talk about the Jewish Holocaust and how awful it was. And there were 6 million Jews put to death and tortured in that Holocaust. And that's that's an un, just an unbelievable number of people. Can you imagine? That would what, be about six times the size of Memphis. Could you imagine six cities the size of Memphis being wiped off the face of this earth? But dear friend, that pales in comparison to the 50 million babies that have been put to death in the mother's womb since Roe versus Wade. We point a finger and we say, look at those horrible Nazis. Look at those fascists. Look at those people that put the Jews to death without care and concern of life. And yet here we are in America. An innocent child does not even have protection in its mother's womb. The choice is not for the mother. The choice is for the child. But folks, it's gone beyond just that rare. It's gone beyond just that rare, rare medical necessity for an abortion. Folks are cheering and parading and saying, oh, how great it is to put a baby to death. And they want to do it even after a child has been born, if a mother so chooses. One celebrity not too long ago was talking to this deluded, wicked group of folks. 
And she made this comment, and I quote, I just regret that I've never been pregnant so that I could have my abortion. I thought, God save us. Bloody hands, lying lips. Our nation today is awash in lies. Where can we find the truth? Certainly not in our leaders. Do we really believe in anything that one of our leaders out of Washington might would have to say no matter what aisle they represent? Where can we find the truth? Is it in our media? Do we really trust anything we pick up in any television station we tune into? What about our schools? Can we say that we trust sending our children to any particularly university or college today that they might hear the truth? What about church? How many churches today no longer stand and preach, thus saith the Lord God of heaven? How many pulpits today are so watered down that you couldn't tell whether that's a Zig Ziglar motivational speaker or a preacher of the Word of God? Lying lips, bloody hands, and wicked tongues. The issue here is an issue of perverseness, Isaiah is speaking about. The perverseness of society. We have thrown God today out of the classroom, yet we have children that in its place we have thrown into wickedness and perversion. I mean, think about it. We've, we've thrown God out of the classroom. You can't pray and you certainly can't read the Bible. But yet, I was reading not too long ago how there was one kindergarten class that was, that was educated and entertained by a man dressed as a woman dancing on a pole. I'm thinking, seriously? How we've turned our focus off of God. That's the failures that are the barrier to our hope. But God doesn't just tell us the failures that are the barrier to our hope. He also tells us where the battlefield is and where we fail on it. He tells us not only how we're failing here, but he tells us where we're failing. Look at verses 5 and 6. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave spider's webs. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed a viper will be hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. That's one of those real hard passages again. Let me give it to you in a more understanding way. They hatch snake eggs, and anyone eating the eggs will die, and from a broken egg a viper will emerge. They also spin spider webs, just as spider's webs cannot be made into clothes, so that those people cannot hide behind what they do. Their actions are intended to deceive or to hurt others. They depend upon violence. Let me give you the, the battlefield for just a moment. There's the battlefield of deception. Our world is... A nation that is feeding on the snake egg diet of deception. The incubators for the, those eggs 
are materialism, secularism, humanism, new ageism, liberalism, conservatism, progressivism. Just put whatever ism out there you want to put to it. That's where Satan is at work today to deceive our nation. Dear friend, you and I are people of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what we serve. That old granddaddy, the serpent, has spawned and fertilized these eggs. We know it's him because the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. Today our culture has a certain philosophical underpinning that's so insipid in America and in the life of America that it's poisoned everything that it's touching, particularly our educational arena. The philosophical arena, the religious arena, the political arena, the worldviews in all of those areas are fully corrupt. Let me give you something that, that I was reading this week, a few things that I think are particularly important. Number one, I want to give you a sad reality for Christians and churches and parents in particular that you need to wake up to. Listen to this. 70 to 75% of Christian youth leave the church after high school. Those that go away to college, three out of four, never come back to church and never get back with God. Christian youth in America are not being taught to cross-examine, to be skeptical uh, of uh, the, the atheistic views that they encounter when they leave home. When you send your children off to college, you need to understand that half of all college professors view evangelical Christians in an unfavorable light. College professors are five times more likely to identify themselves as an atheist than in the general public. Christian students are not equipped to resist the rapidly growing anti-Christian views on the college campuses. New atheists are the choice of speakers today that are growing on college campuses. The number one growing books in America are books on atheism. We have a generation of young kids that we've lost and we're losing the next generation that's coming behind them. Jeff Myers in his book, The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, overcoming the outbreak of five fatal worldviews. That's the kind of reading your preacher gets to do during the week. It's so much fun. But he, he talks about bad ideas, and he likens bad ideas to something that you can identify with. So let me give you a little bit of what, what you need to know. A worldview monitors the ideas we are exposed to and isolates the ones that appear to be destructive. That's what a worldview does. So your kids go off to school, they get told, here's the worldview you need to have, here's the worldviews that are wrong. And so what mom and dad believed and grandmom and granddaddy believed, what your preacher believes, Oh, that's a false worldview. And so they get inserted into that worldview, that idea, a different view. He adds it's possible to have a worldview that's porous, that lets in some of the most damaging ideas. In other words, if you're not careful, if you're not, if you're not ready for it, if you've not been conditioned for it, then you can have a porous worldview that lets in the bad ideas that changes the way you think. A worldview might be skewed in some way, welcoming ideas that are meant on doing us harm. And he says this, the battle of ideas never let up. 
So much of, of what happens, happens because of the onslaught of ideas on us. And he says we need a healthy worldview that accurately identifies the ideas that come at us in every direction. Where do we catch the ideas from? Well, listen to this. We get ideas from church, from culture, from family, from friends, from billboards, from speeches, from songs, from video clips, from memes. Some of y'all know what memes are. I mean, it's just little dancing animated things. Uh, pictures, Facebook uh, posts, uh, uh, movie dialogues, uh, you name it. It's slamming our young people from every direction. And then, folks, that's not even anywhere near an exhaustive list. He says if we're to live satisfying and whole lives, we need to do two things. One, we've got to be intent on catching the good ideas. That means we've got to be intent on reading the Word of God and hearing what God wants us to know. And second, we've got to work hard to avoid the bad ideas. And here's what I want you to see. Unfortunately, bad ideas are easy to catch because they share a distinguishing characteristic with one of the most deadliest things in all of the physical world. And here's what he says. They're like a virus. Bad ideas are like coronavirus. Bad ideas are out there to be caught. Now you and I take seriously the coronavirus. We do our best to social distance. We put hand sanitizer on. We wear our little mask. But are you protecting yourself and are you protecting your children? Are you protecting your grandchildren from the bad ideas that are slamming into their mind, into their heart, that would do as much damage emotionally, physically, spiritually in their life as coronavirus would do to their health? Isaiah, he calls these bad ideas snake eggs. Society threw out prayer. We didn't blink an eye. Guess what? Society is getting ready to throw out the police now. What are you going to say about that? What's next? That's my question. What's next? What's next that has to go in this crazy world of things that should be, at least the ideal sense, what we can count on to be a good thing and a right thing? Isaiah 59, verse 5, we're told that when you come to stamp out these things, these snake eggs, guess what happens? You go to stomp on them, unfortunately, it just creates more of them. Have you ever played that old game, whack-a-mole? You know, the little mole pops up in a hole, and you take that big hammer, and you try to whack him. And as soon as you whack him, he pops up somewhere else, and you spend all your time, and you're sweaty, trying to whack that mole. Isaiah says it's, it's like that, trying to stamp out these, these snake eggs. You, you, you stomp on one and two more snakes pop up. You ever feel that way? That's, that's how it's happened here in our world. And, and listen, if we're going to win, folks, it's not stamping out the snake eggs. It, it's not going out there with this self-righteous hammer and beating people over the head with the word of God and and saying how sorry you are. You reach people by reaching their hearts and their minds. And you give them the good ideas of God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness. You know what it's called? It, it was called this back 
when my grandparents were in church, I don't know about you know, today, but it's called evangelism and discipleship. I mean, that, those are old words. You want to watch people run? Mention discipleship. See how quick they disappear. What, you mean we have to sit down and learn things about God and, and, and grow in our faith and, and learn how to win other people to Jesus? Ah, just too much work. Well, go on out there and play whack-a-mole then and find out what else is going to disappear that is really needed in this world. It's a battlefield of deception. It's a battlefield of depravity. Our world, our nation's covered in a web of wickedness. Verse 5 says they weave a spider's web. Satan has woven an, uh, an elaborate web of wickedness today. It's in education. It's in politics. It's in religion. It's in business. It's in finance. It's in the courts. Everywhere you turn, it seems like Satan has got his, his fingerprints. He's got a foothold. Dr. Moulder, uh, Albert Moulder, president of the Southern uh, Seminary in Louisville, wrote a book, We Cannot Be Silent, Speaking Truth to a Culture That's Redefining Sex, Marriage, and the Very Meaning of Right and Wrong, has this to say. Let me give it to you. We're facing, he says, nothing less than a comprehensive redefinition of life, love, and liberty, and the very meaning of right and wrong. He said the massive a revolution that is taking place across the entire cultural landscape today is affecting virtually every dimension of life and damning and demanding total acceptance of its claims and affirmation of its aims. Today, he says, the moral revolution is now so complete that those who will not join are understood to be uh, uh, deficient, intolerant and harmful to society in other words if you won't play and go along with what the world says is right now you are a troublemaker you're intolerant and you're harmful in his most recent briefing dr Mulder referred to an article that the new york times uh written uh, under this headline sex does not mean gender equating them erases trans lives it was written by devin michelle bunton listen to what the article out of the New York Times says, let me just give you the short and skinny. Gender is a, is a socially constructed reality and it's not tied to, uh, to biological birth. In other words, you're not born man or a woman. It's what society says you are or what you choose to be. This opens the door to a world of new possibilities and new self-identification. As a matter of fact, there's no limit to who you can be. You want to be a dog? You can be a dog. We'll refer to you as a dog. If you want to be a tree, be a tree. If you want to be whatever, just you can be what you want to be. And there's a push today and society culture is telling us we must stop using sex-based words. You know what that means? No longer should we refer to someone as a father, mother, brother, or sister. As a matter of fact, in France, if you were to sign your children up for school, you would not be allowed to list father and mother. You would have to list parent one and parent two. Matthew 
Madison Avenue is being told, do not use phrases such as feminine products. That's insulting. Dr. Moeller goes on to point out, he says, this is where for Christians, the theological alarms need to be going off loudly. And he says, listen, why? It's because central to the Christian biblical worldview is what we as theologians call a psychosomatic unity. Now, there's another big word for you. But what does it mean? It means this. God made us as souls and bodies. But he made us as individuals who are souls and who are body and who do not know ourselves disembodied as a soul. In other words, we don't know ourselves embodied without a soul. We have a unity because God has made us in his image in that way. Stamping us in his image, he made us as spiritual creatures and has given us a particular vocation and responsibility in creation. In other words, we're not a soul trapped in a body and we're not a body that's holding on to a soul. We are both body and soul, a combination made the way the creator, our creator, made us for his glory. And we are inseparable except during that period between when we die and the day of resurrection. When we die, we're absent from the body, present with the Lord. But on the day of resurrection, when the Lord comes again, the body and the soul come back together again in a glorified body with a glorified soul that shall never depart and will live and be that way for all time and eternity. And those who are in hell and separated from God shall be body and soul in hell for time and eternity. That's the Bible, dear friend. Therefore, we know who we are as God made us, precisely because God made us as a body and as a soul. Our body is indeed a form of revelation about who God is and who God made us to be. And so that the truth is that when we accept what society says, we can be whoever we want to be, pick out our own gender. It's a floating continuum of ideas and thought and whatever you feel like today. Dear friend, we are rejecting the truth of God. Notice the truth that is so precisely rejected by Bunting in her article. It's not an accident. It is extremely revealing, he says. What we see here is the fact that to join the transgender revolution, to join in its logic, you actually have to depart not only from biblical understanding of what a man is and a woman is, or being made male or female, you have to, listen, you have to depart from biblical understanding about what being human is. In other words, and, and I've heard Christians do this. Well, it's no big thing. Somebody wants to call himself a man. Or somebody wants to call himself a woman. If they want to be referred to as it or that or whatever, that's fine with me. No, dear friend, it's not fine because that's not what God says about who we are. And when we start letting Satan play around with how we talk about ourselves and how we talk about others, dear friend, then, we, then you begin to throw out everything else. If you can't trust that you were born a man or you were born a woman, how can you trust that when you put your faith in Christ that he's going to save you from your sins? I mean, it all starts at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the earth and he created them what? Male 
and female. And if you can't take God's word on that, well, what, what else can you not take God's word at? And so you might as well throw the whole thing out. That's why I'm telling you tonight, uh, this morning that Satan is behind this depravity of deception. Now let me give you some encouragement. And I'm going to go again to Dr. Moeller since he gave us all this bad news. And it's encouraging for Christians. We are called to be people of the truth even when the truth is not popular and even when truth is denied by culture around us. Christians have found themselves in this position before and they will again. God's truth has not changed. The Holy Scripture has not changed. The gospel of Jesus Christ has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the encouraging. Now that's point number one. It's big, it's dark, it's ugly, but it is the truth, dear friend. And it's why I'm saying to you this morning, America is in trouble and we need to be praying for her. Now I'm going to give you two more points real quick. Trust me, they're very short. That is the barrier to real hope. Number two, the brokenness required for hope. Now you can look at verses 9 through 13. I'm not going to read those, but I'll just read verse 12. For our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. In verses 9 through 13, what you have basically is a confession of the people. The people repent. They hear the message of Isaiah and they bring confession. They begin to say, it is our sins, it is our transgression that has brought this separation between us and God. And dear friend, I want to say to you, it's not just the people, it was also the prophet. And I'm going to stand here today and I'm going to ask not only for you and I, or for you to be repentive of where we've not been uh, speaking up and holding firm and being steadfast. I'm going to say myself, I want to repent also. Our pulpits across our world need to be pulpits that are willing to repent because we've not fought the good fight either, dear friend. We've been afraid to speak out and stand up for the Word of God. There is a brokenness that's required if you and I are to have hope. If our world is to have hope, we have got to have genuine repentance. Now the good news, I was reading this the other day, that one of the last times that there was a major world virus that broke out and there were riots all throughout the United States. Do you know what also followed? One of the greatest revivals. You've probably heard it referred to as what? The Jesus movement. Dear friend, I believe God's at work again in our land. And I believe God's hand is mighty and God's hand is strong. And I want to tell you, America has a bigger problem than racism. It's called sin. And I'll tell you this, it's not the color of your skin that'll send you to hell, but it is the stain of your sins. And unless your sins have been stained by the blood of Christ, dear friend, when you die, that's it. And we need to be praying, not for healing from racism, but healing from lostness in America. And one reason things are so messed up in our nation is because lost people are doing what? Acting like lost people. And dear friend, do you realize that if we could get people to come to Christ and to love the Word of God, there's not one problem that is in America. 
including Washington, D.C., that could not be fixed by a good old-fashioned washing of the Word of God. But let me also say there is a blessedness of renewed hope. You can read verses 14 through 21, but let me just give you verses 21 and 20, 20 and 21. And a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring and out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. In those two verses, God says two things that I think are important about the blessedness of a renewed hope. One, he says, I, I have promised a redeemer. Do you want to know something, dear friend? God is already halfway delivered on that promise. Jesus has already come. Now, in Isaiah's day, he hadn't come yet. He was a promise waiting to come. But in our day, Jesus has already come. We know who that Redeemer is. We sing of our Redeemer. But he has also, what, said he's coming again. So we're awaiting that second coming. Dear friend, the one who is going to fix things for time and eternity, the one who will make earth like heaven is going to return. God has made a promise. How do we know that we can trust him? Well, he's already delivered on it once. Part, part two is set to happen. May happen before we leave today. But notice what he also says. This is a promise thou, that goes out to your offspring and to your offspring's offspring. That's, that's a promise to, to what? To us, to our children and to our children's children and forevermore. That tells me there's always hope. No matter what day the calendar turns to, there's hope in the Lord. When the Cultural Revolution began in China, Mao Zedong and his henchmen decided that they were going to get rid of Christianity all Western books were burned, pastors were killed in prison, churches were turned into warehouses, collective farms were turned into communes, they would be government-owned farms. The folks were forced to bow and say that Mao Zedong is, is God. They were to bow to his picture. Christians who would not bow had their legs broken, Christians had their jobs taken from them, their mean of living. They were put in prisons. They were put into re-education camps. They were brainwashed. And they faced unmitigating, repressive, bullied, cruel behaviors. Even all the way to their cemeteries, believe it or not. If there was a cross on a grave, it was chiseled down and removed to look like a tombstone. But listen, after all those years of repression and persecution and uh, just being tortured, at that point there was a half a million Christians there when that started. 
Today, there's over 50 million believers in China. God has a way. God finds a way. When Satan thinks he's won, he's only been defeated. I want to tell you, dear friend, that we serve a mighty God who has a mighty hand. And we need to be on our knees calling out to him. Heavenly Father, this morning maybe someone's here, someone's listening, someone's watching this morning. And they say, you know, I look around at what's going on in the world and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. A lot of this is frightening. But God, I see this morning that you are the mighty God. That your hand is not shortened. That your power is not weakened. And that God, you are doing a mighty thing. But God, you also call on us to be right with you. And God, that means, first of all, we must be a child of God. If we are lost in our sins, if we've never come to your Redeemer, your Son, the Savior of the world, Jesus, if we've never asked Jesus for you to forgive us and cleanse us of our sin, then God, we are in that lost group. We're part of the big problem in this world. And Lord, we have a big problem on our own that we will be forever separated from you. And Lord, that person today we pray as Christians would give their heart to you during this time of invitation, give their heart to you. But Lord, we also pray as Christians, let our heart be broken. Let us be people of the cross. Let us get on our needs. Let us seek out God's word. Let us pray unto you. Let us get into your word. Let, Lord, let us get rock solid in the good ideas of the holy word. Let us give that to our children that when they go out in this world, oh God, they're prepared to stand. And they don't back away because someone's questioned their faith and someone has demeaned them and said, oh, you're a Christian, how stupid. But God, we have given them what they need in discipleship to stand against the wiles of the devil and the faith to extinguish those fiery darts that come at them out of that hatred that, that Satan has for you, God and for anyone who would love you. Lord, where we need to repent today, give us that heart to repent, knees to pray, a mind fixed on you. Whatever decision, oh God, let it be done today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. The Lord spoken. You come. You come. Our altar's open. You come. Pray with you here.
gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for our time together. We pray blessings upon us as we leave down this place of yours to serve you and to be your voice and to be your witness. In your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Amen.